Welcome to Encompass Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us today. To share your story of what God has been doing in you and through you, take a moment to email us at amen at encompass.org.au. Enjoy today's message. Well, good morning, church. Thank you. Thank you. Grab your seats. Thank you, guys. Hey, church, I want to say a big thank you. And uh, Jason, you were saying, you know, treat us like Grammy Award winners. No, not at all. Uh, my wife, Jenny's here today. Jen, give a wave. <coughs> we count it an absolute privilege to, uh, to serve in Uganda. We do. An absolute privilege. And we want to thank you, church, for, uh, for being committed to, to not just missions, but the mission of Christ. You know, not just overseas, but also here in Bundora, here in Victoria. You've got multiple campuses. And so when you stand and say thanks so much, you know, um, yep, that's wonderful. But together, it, I mean, it's the kingdom. Uh, I mean, it's you and me, you know, doing our part for the kingdom so that none should perish. And we do. And we get the privilege of serving Uganda. And, um, and it, um, it's been 18 years now this year. And you see on the clip there that we had a house fire. You know, some people, you know, God just speaks quietly. Others, it just needs a little bit more encouragement to get their attention. And I'm sure, I know the house fire wasn't God, but during that time, we were working as youth pastors in our local church in Brisbane, Australia. And certainly, you know, I'd say it's a great way to have a spring clean. Um, everything's gone. And uh, thank goodness we had insurance and insurance rebuilt the house. If you don't have insurance, get it. It helps. Uh, and, um, and we were able to rebuild our house. But during that time, God was rebuilding something in us. And as a family in that little clip there, we just filmed. That's a new clip. I just got back a few weeks ago and I had a guy from Geelong come over with me. We, we filmed a bunch of clips in Uganda because we've got so many great stories now. 18 years in the ground, you know, it's like, you know, planting a tree, you know, um, it grows and grows and grows, and then it starts producing fruit. And we've got so much fruit that's just dropping off that tree now of young people's lives that are now adults and transforming the nation of Uganda, which is just phenomenal. And you guys have been a part of that as well. But um, as a family, we said in 2005, we said, let's go to Uganda. And at that time, I was like, where the heck is Uganda? Um, my wife had been to a conference, and there was someone speaking about the orphan crisis in Uganda. And we thought, let's just go there and do something. And, um, and 18 years on, you know, that was my first missions trip, and I'm stuck. I'm stuck on my first missions trip, and we were just chatting before about missions trips. I think you guys are going to Thailand. Is it this year, is it? Fantastic. It's brilliant. Hey, we'd love to host you in Uganda. You guys will have a brilliant time. Uganda is called the Pearl of Africa, and, um, and you'll get to see a lot of the, uh, the ministry that we um, have in both in Kampala, the capital, then also in the rural village of Abim, which is way up um, northeastern Uganda. And then you'll also get to have a safari on the Nile River. The Nile River, that's where Moses was, was put in. You know, that's pretty majestic. And, uh, and so that's a little bit of bait there for you. So have a talk to Jace um, and see if you guys can come on over. We'd love to host you. But arriving in Uganda as a family in 2005 was crazy. And, well, it still is pretty crazy at the moment as well. Um, you know, there's a, um, an African proverb that says, if you think you're too small to make a difference, try sleeping in a room with a mosquito. 
And I know we've got mosquitoes here in Australia, but there's mosquitoes in Uganda. They've got malaria. We've all had malaria, by the way. It's not fun. Um, and, um, but I want to encourage us today. Let's be the mosquito in the room that, that disturbs and, and creates a noise and has a sting, a sting that would, would leave an impact, would leave an echo. You know, a proverb says that our, um, our life is like a poof. A puff of puff of air. I mean, I want my life to be the biggest puff of air, you know, while I'm breathing air on planet Earth. And I know you guys too. I can see you nodding as well. Let's leave a kingdom impact. And when we arrived in Uganda, it was like, you know, what are we doing here? And with four kids, a lot of our friends were saying, what the heck are you doing, Russ and Jen? Taking Our youngest was five, and that's a Matthew, who you would have seen on the clip there, and our oldest was 13. And, um, and Matthew's the guy um, that you mentioned before, Jason, our youngest son, him and his wife, Sarah, just taken up position as youth pastors in Wodonga. And um, they've just had a little baby boy, Elisha. And so we're heading up there tomorrow to see him. We haven't seen him yet. Um, I just got back from Uganda a few weeks ago. Um, and so looking forward to seeing that little fellow. He was born about a week ago, which is fantastic. You know, I love your church's theme. And it tied in um, incredibly well with our little clip there about yes, saying yes. And I love how you've been honoring Pastor John and Lois as well, but a lifetime of yes. And, you know, um, but imagine if we said no. Imagine that for a minute. You know, I love the, um, the story of Peter, um, that he, he walks on water. You know, Matthew 14, verse 27. Um, but imagine if Peter said no. Imagine if Peter's on the boat. You know, when I was in Bible college, and, you know, I know I'm probably showing my age a little bit here, uh, there was a band called DC Talk. Anyone remember DC Talk? And they had a song called Jesus Freak. And, um, and we had these things called cassette tapes and CDs as well back there, way back then. And I used to put it on and turn it up real loud. I had a pool. See, we're from Queensland. So we've got swimming pools in our backyards um, there. Uh, you guys have got ice skating rings. Is that right? No, no. I know it's nice and warm here during summer. But I'm going to put that on, and I'll be speaking in tongues, and I'll be going, all right, God, and this will be at a morning lecture from Bible college, and I think, I'm going to start walking on water today, and I'll be listening to DC Talk, Jesus Freak, and I'll be out, you know, and I'll be in my backyard, I'll take one step on that swimming pool, straight in. I would have tried it a good half a dozen times, and every time I was in. But imagine if Peter said no, when Jesus said, hey, Pete, because Jesus is out there just casually walking on water. And it says in Matthew 14, 27, that Jesus says to Peter, take courage, don't be afraid. And Peter got out of the boat. He said yes. He got out of the boat and he walked on water. Now, I want to tell you today that God wants to say to some people here today, take courage, don't be afraid. When was the last time that you got out of your boat? And sometimes our boat, we can sort of like... Make it quite comfortable. We can put the recliner chair in there. We can put the big LETV up there in the boat. And when Jesus does say, hey, I want you to step out onto a faith venture. I want you to do something. I want you to say yes. And sometimes it's quite easy for us to say no. I want to share with you in a, in a, in a few moments about an opportunity I had a few weeks ago where it was like, do I say no or yes? And I was way up rural Uganda when that happened. You know, Uganda's been ravaged by civil war. We arrived in the middle of the LRA conflict, and there was, you know, 
there was war up in northern Uganda um, on the South Sudanese border, uh, and there was about two... Two to three million people displaced. There are refugees in their own country because it was a war zone in Uganda. And as a family, you know, we were, you know, being the hands and the feet of Christ in Kampala. We're just beginning out. Uh, and we became aware of what was happening up in northern Uganda. And we took a road trip up, you know, as you do. You know, naivety is a blessing sometimes. And we ended up going up to northern Uganda. And I was just thinking before, man, your worship team is fantastic. You guys were awesome. You've got to come over to Uganda and train our guys up. Um, I mean, in fact, that church is exploding in Kampala, which is a great problem to have, isn't it, when you've outgrown your church. We're currently negotiating. Have we got any prayer warriors in the room here today? I mean, if you're a prayer, to be thinking of me and be praying that our neighbors will sell their property. We're negotiating hard because we're trying to buy the neighboring property so we can build a bigger church and community center. And because every Sunday, we've got people outside of our church building, they can't get in. And we want to be able to build a, com a community center that's got a basketball court inside. We can use it throughout the week for young people, for activities, for discipleship. And so if you're a prayer, be praying for our neighbors to say yes. But we went up to northern Uganda, and I was thinking, just as I was here before, there was, a, there was a little church in this refugee camp, and Pastor Bosco was the pastor. The church is probably about as big as the stage twice, I suppose, uh, 300 people all jammed in there, and uh, they're all sitting down on little bench seats, it's a grass, thatch roof hut, and people are you know, banging away on, you know, uh, drums that have got crocodile skin on them, and everyone's like jumping up and down, hey, yeah, 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 that's how it was going, and people jumping up and down, singing, and I said to Bosco, I said, Bosco, I've got to get out of here, and that's... I, I, when you guys were singing before, the smoke was coming out, and I was like, this is bringing back memories of, of the refugee camp the, and Pastor Bosco's church. But there was one thing different. I said to Bosco, man, this dust is getting up my nose as everyone's jumping up and down. And Bosco goes, Lussel. Some people in Uganda have a problem with R's, and I was known affectionately as Lussel sometimes. So if you call me Lussel today or Lus, I'll slap you across the back of the head. It's Russ. But he says, Pastor Lussel, that's not dust, that's cow poo. <laughs> so be thankful for a nice carpet today. As people are jumping up and down and singing and dancing, you haven't got cow poo rising up. But we've seen some great things up there. Uh, we were showing the Jesus movie quite regularly in these camps. This particular refugee camp had 65,000 people in it. And they were all displaced. And they had military guards around the outside of it because of the conflict zone. And we'd be up there showing the Jesus movie. Um, there's no power in these camps. And so we'd have our generator. Now, you know, it's been 18 years on the ground now in Uganda. I haven't raised, I mean, sometimes you hear stories about people that have raised, you know, a dead people to life. Well, I haven't done that. But I have raised the dead generator back to life again. We're in the middle of this camp of 65,000 people showing the Jesus movie. All of a sudden, boom, 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 it died. And it's pitch black, and you can't see much when it's pitch black, and your audience is also quite dark as well, and there's 65,000 people there. And all of a sudden, we're standing there praying in tongues over this generator. It's like, God, you've got to get this thing back to life again. Boom, and the Jesus movie finished, and people got saved. See, well, over the years, we've seen some phenomenal things, and we've seen God move phenomenally in a lot of the things that we've just put our hands to. And we haven't always necessarily had all the answers. Or, you know, and I want to encourage us today, sometimes we need to have um, all the I's dotted and the T's crossed before we 
step out of the boat before we say yes to a faith venture. And sometimes we think, oh, I need to, but, but that's not faith, is it? And sometimes I think if we did know the, the total picture, we probably wouldn't get out of the boat sometimes. Uh, like 18 years on now, I don't know if I would have said yes back in 2005. But I absolutely love what I do. But I think sometimes we don't necessarily need to know all the answers. We just need to know what my next step of faith is. And as a church, as a Christian today, I know God's put on something on your heart. I want to say, hey, take courage. Don't be afraid. Step out into it. You know, living in Kampala um, as a family, you know, I just got back a few weeks ago. As I mentioned, I drive a Hilux. I love Toyotas. Who loves Toyotas? I, lo- I drive a Hilux over there. Um, big bull bar on the front, big bull bar on the back, heavy duty suspension, big winch kit. Um, and um, it's a little bit like dodging cars, and having big bull bars really help when you've got driving around uh, Uganda. But um, the roads are absolutely crazy. You're dodging, um, you know, everything on the roads. You've got, and this is in the capital, you've got, you know, goats, chickens, cows. You've got people walking, people on bicycles. When I come back to Australia, you might drive down a street, and you might see two people on the footpath for like five kilometres, and that's about it, because everyone's like... You know, I, they're in a car or they're in a bus or and they're not walking. But over there, it's just like people everywhere and lots of people. And then you've got everything else as well. You've got boater boaters, uh, which are motorcycles. They're like a pillion passenger thing. And during COVID, I know social distancing was a word that we learned. Remember COVID? That, that blank period. Um, yeah. But social distancing was a word that... It, We'd never used it before. But over in Uganda, it was never a word. On a boater boater, I know Australians, I, I like to have a nice social distance. If I'm sitting on a motorcycle, I like to have a nice space in between myself and the driver. Or if I'm driving, the passenger on the back, just give me a nice space in between. But I've seen like five or six blokes on the back of a boater boater in Uganda, and the seat is like that long. You've got the driver sitting on the fuel tank like this, and you've got six guys sitting behind him. Fair dinkum, when I was just across there now, I seen a coffin on the back of a boater boater. Like, it would have been like six foot long, this coffin, going sideways, driving down the road. It was empty. They were taking it to someone's burial. And, but I've seen fridges. I've seen lounge suites. I've seen cows. I've seen pigs on the back of... And so when you're driving around Kampala, I know it's illegal to use your phone in Australia, but really a lot of laws go out the window over there. And so I'm using my phone taking pictures of everything uh, because there's so much that happens in a, little, in a space of a few minutes. But driving around Kampala and then you've got the police to deal with. And we've got so many police stories. And if you were, I think I was here a good few years ago, I probably would have told a couple. But um, I remember driving through Kampala one time and um, <clears throat> I had my four kids in the car with me, got pulled over by a police officer. <coughs> Stop. He leans in the window and he says, hello, sir. I said, hello, officer. How are you? I said, I'm fine, thanks. How are you? That's just the normal greeting. It takes a few hours. <laughs> and then he looks at my four kids, well, one in the passenger seat, three in the back, and he said, eh, who are these? I said, they're my children. Ah, you're a very fruitful man. You can go. So you just get pulled over for fruitfulness checks. <laughs> now, Jen was just driving just in this last trip. Um, she was on a... Now, I'm going to get myself in trouble here, okay? Um, but she was driving on the way to the hairdresser. And there's not very many hairdressers um, that 
Jen would trust with her hair. So it was across the other side of town. And what would normally take, you know, in Australia, 15 minutes to get across, it can take two hours because traffic's ridiculous. And she's driving across town and she's on her way to the hairdresser. So men, you know when your wife's on the way to the hairdresser, she's not looking 100%. She's, she's, she's going to look 100% when she comes back. She's going to look 150%. And so she's on her way to the hairdresser. She's looking okay. She's looking good. She gets pulled over. And uh, it's a female officer. The officer says, can I see your license? First she says hello to Jen. Jen says hello. Then the officer says, how are you? Jen says, I'm fine. How are you? I'm fine also. Can I see your license? Jen gives her a license, looks at the date of birth. Says to Jen, eh. That's what she said. Eh, this is not you. This is not your date of birth. Jen says, yes, this is my date of birth. The officer says, no, you're too well maintained. You can go. A maintenance check on the side of the road as you're driving through Kampala. There's another time when I was driving up to Abim, which is where we built the primary school in northeastern Uganda. And after the war in Uganda, um, people all moved back from these refugee camps into these communities. And we went up to... Once, we, once everyone moved out of the refugee camps, we stopped working in the camps. We, uh, we said, let's, let's go somewhere and see what we can do um, in one of the most neediest communities in Uganda. So we went to this community called Abim, A-B-I-M. And it can take anywhere from 7 to 14 hours drive depending on the roads. And if it's wet season, it can be great for driving, but it can take a long time in the mud. And so we're driving up to Abim. And I said to our guys, had our pastor in the car and then Pam, our head social worker, I said, guys, we're going to gun it. We've got a long trip ahead of us. Let's go. I'm doing like 120 k's an hour on my beautiful three-litre turbocharged Hilux and we're gunning it. And normally as you hit these little townships, it's 50 kilometres an hour as you hit a township. But most times the signs have fallen over or they've been taken or stolen or used for something else. And so you hit a township and you don't know you're in the township until you're in the township. And I've got this... Um, this guy standing in white, a police officer. The World Bank had just given all the police officers brand new radar guns and battery charges. And so I've got this guy standing there. Bang, he gets me. 120 in a 50K zone. He walks up to me. And he goes, sir, I must punish you accordingly. That's what he said. I said, okay, officer, you can punish me accordingly. He says, you were speeding, you were doing 120 in a 50K zone. I said, no problems. He wrote me out a ticket. Would have been the equivalent of about $30 Australian. Not bad. I took my ticket, put it in the glove box. Whoosh, I said, guys, warn me. Next township, before we get there, so we can slow down. We've got to get to a BIM. Very next township, this big female African officer walks up to me. Bang, she got me, 125. 5Ks over, more than what I was doing before. I thought I was quite impressed. Sarah, I must punish you accordingly. I said, officer, I was just punished accordingly in the previous town. And I pulled out my ticket. Eh, so you were. You can go. One ticket can last all day. <laughs> I could go on all day with our police stories. You know, Uganda has one of the youngest populations in the world. 50% of the population are under the age of 15. 76% are under the age of 25. What an amazing opportunity to be able to reach and transform a generation. 
You know, today we've got just over a thousand orphan and vulnerable children in our sponsorship program. And child sponsorship is something that transforms a life. And you know, perhaps you might sponsor a child with a world vision or a compassion, but we also do child sponsorship. We've got a bunch of children just in the foyer out here. I've got little Muhammad here at the back, and Muhammad lives with his single mom, and I've got Mary here, and Mary uh, lives with her mother and her two sisters as well. And these children, for $45 a month, you can transform these children's life. And if you don't sponsor a child, um, this is above your missions giving. It's above your, your tithes and your offering. I would say, hey, come and see us after the service today and help transform a life. And you'll be able to do it. And when you come over to, to Uganda to visit on a missions trip, you'll be able to say good day to your sponsor child as well. We've just done this last school term, 3,000 Keeper Girl and School Packs. You know, in Uganda, um, teenage girls can miss up to a quarter of their school year and subsequently drop out of school. And we've just provided 3,000 teenage girls Keeper Girl and School Packs where we provide them sanitary items and a teaching session on God's principles around abstinence and looking after your body um, and dignity. We've just graduated, we're about to graduate uh, this term. Every term we chuck through hundreds of, of kids through our Shine and Our Strength a Youth Discipleship Program. We've got 250 teenagers graduating this next week um, at our church. We do it during school time where they go through a seven-week discipleship program. Then on a Sunday, we invite the whole family to church and everyone comes and packs out the place and we have a big graduation service. We're putting thousands of kids through our discipleship programs. And church, your support, your missions giving is a part of that, transforming lives. Our team... When I was a youth pastor, I would like hate the terminology of driving a desk or working in an office. I might have ADD. I've never gone and got myself tested, but I hate sitting still. And our team in Uganda, it's like, guys, we're out. We're out in the community. When I look at the gospel and I see Jesus, Jesus isn't like, there was times that he, was, he spent times in prayer, but the majority of the gospel, he's just out. He's walking on the streets. He's talking to people. People are touching the hem of his garment. He's stopping and, and healing the lepers, the sick, the blind, the deaf. That's where the need is, is out there. And so our team, I'm very much focused on, guys, let's get out. Let's not stay within the four walls of our center. You know, in fact, when we first started, our, um, we purchased the property in Kampala, which was a miracle in itself. I remember being in Bible college and our missions lecturer said a quote from C.T. Studd that just, that just resonated in my spirit. It's never left. Some choose to live by the sound of chapel bells. But as for me, I want to build a rescue shop at the gates of hell. And our center in Kampala is in one of the slums. I wouldn't say it's hell, but for so many people, you know, if you've got a garden shed in your backyard where you park your lawnmower, and if it's got a concrete floor in that garden shed, it's 10 times better than most people's homes in that slum area. You know, it's, you know, it's shanty shacks. And our centre in Kampala is a refuge to so many. We've got a daycare centre in there. A little Mohammed, for example. Mohammed's not necessarily a Christian name, is it? And we've got kids from so many different families, but we see Christ entering those families. We've had so many Muslim households come to Jesus because of practical love that's shown through not just words and speech, but also action as well. Our church in Kampala, you know, during uh, COVID was closed down, like so many of you's 
well, us here in Australia. We got an exemption during um, COVID to get out of Australia and because of our work with education, with food, during COVID, because of your support as well, we were able to give over 30,000 kilos of food support to families I'm in Uganda during that time because everyone was locked down globally. During that time, we were able to provide so many learning from home packs Uganda had one of the longest, I know Victoria was hit hard during COVID, but Uganda had one of the longest um, school closures in the world. So many kids couldn't attend school. But during that time, we were able to provide lots of learning from home packs as well. But during um, COVID, our church was locked down. And we didn't necessarily have the luxury of great internet in Uganda. It's a little bit um, on and off, like the roads, like the, um, the water, like the power, like a lot of things there. And so our pastor... Just put the speakers up around our property in Kampala, in the slum area, high-density living, and just turned up some, some real loud praise and worship music um, through the speakers, and then just started preaching the gospel to the four walls and like the brick walls there with the speakers over the walls. That was our live streaming during COVID. Um, but our church, as I mentioned, is just going phenomenally well. We've got a primary school we built, and we mentioned it there. Our head teacher's name is Billy Graham. True story. He's about six foot two, and the, the school up in Abim, we've got about 1,600 kids. We've got an early childhood center there as well. It's booming, and I wouldn't expect anything less from a, from a head teacher whose name is Billy Graham. Um, as I mentioned before, we've got a bunch of fruit. I think we've got a picture there, guys. Are we able to just put that up? Great. Jen and I, with a bunch of guys in um, our center in Kampala, I'll just go around the room here. We've got Isaac over here on my left with the glasses on. Isaac is a phenomenal preacher. He's great. Now, all these kids here, or young adults now, we knew them when they were like six, seven years old. Um, all come from, you know, absolutely terrible situations. You know, many of them, their parents may have passed away with HIV or you know, living with a grandmother or a grandfather or in a single parent home, really had no opportunity for a hope and a future. But today, we've got Isaac over here on my left. Um, Isaac is a data analyst. He's graduated university. Behind him with his thumb in the air, we just filmed a clip. Now, if you don't follow us on social media, follow us, because there'll be some great media clips come out soon. Operation Uganda on Instagram and Facebook. But George William with his thumb up. Uh, George William um, come from, you know, uh, his, his father passed away. I mean, he lived with his grandmother, no opportunity for education. Um, through child sponsorship, someone like you that would sponsor a child, uh, he graduated secondary school so well. They got a part bursary. We helped fill in the gaps. Uh, George William uh, graduated a few years ago with a double degree in computer science and mathematical science. Um, George William now works, well, we had lunch, and he stood up. He said, I'm not used to speaking to so many people at one time. I'm, I'm used to speaking to just one person at a time. And that's the pilot as I guide him in to the international airport in Uganda. Get this. George William works as an air traffic controller in Uganda now. And from where he came from, and we just done a piece on George, and we were able to film in the control tower at Entebbe International Airport, which in itself was phenomenal because the security is to get in there. Um, but this young man has helped transforming his nation. Patrick, beside him there, is a Patrick graduated university just recently with a bachelor's degree in public administration and management. Patrick now works, I'm in a district council, 
are training subsistence farmers into commercial farming. And when I said, what an opportunity we have with such a young nation, we're seeing these young people helping to reshape this nation of Uganda. Next to um, Halima at the back, um, behind Jen there, um, Halima um, has got a certificate in administration. She works as a secretary. But before, We had lunch with these guys just recently. She stands up and she goes, before I tell you what I'm doing and what grades I've got in my, my studies, I want to first say, praise Jesus, I'm born again. That was her greeting. And so many of these kids here love God with all their heart, and they want to give back into the communities that they're, they're working and serving in. Karen, giving Jenna Cuddle there, Karen works as a veterinarian. She's a qualified vet, which is absolutely phenomenal. Then Stephen, um, there with his thumb up. Um, Stephen uh, graduated um, medical school. Seven years of medical school, he's now a surgeon. Get that. Um, I'll get medical advice for him when I'm in Kampala. Um, I'll say, Stephen, I've got this. He'll look at it and say, you need this drug, Russ. Um, and he's just gotten married recently. They're expecting their first baby later on this year, which is absolutely phenomenal. It's so good to see young lives transformed. And church, you're a part of that transformation. That's what God's all about, isn't he? Now, Jason said, I've got until 1 p.m. today. Is that right? That's what time church normally finishes in Uganda. I can see some Africans out there. You know what I'm talking about. Then we'll have lunch afterwards, and it'll be at 4 o'clock before we go home. Well, I mentioned I just got back, and we traveled up to Abim, which is this rural area. And this is the story where I'll be honest with you. I was like, ah. And we're up there. We're filming some good news stories, and we've got a primary school up there. Billy Graham's up there. And a lot of the kids have graduated from the primary school. They're now going into the secondary school. And so they're doing brilliantly. They're achieving great results, and they're really going forward. So we went to the secondary school just to get a couple of video clips of some of these students and, and a couple of testimonies of them. And so I had no intentions at all of doing anything else but of greeting the, the head teacher, Moses. Is that his name? Moses. Um, and, and then just our film guys are just getting some quick video clips. I was thinking, let's be there for half an hour, one hour at the tops, and then we'll get back on the road again and get some more stuff done. I'm sitting down while our guys are off filming, and Moses says to me, Russ, I need your help. I said, Moses, I've, we're just here filming. We've got students enrolled in your school. We're helping pay the school fees. We're, we're helping the school as much as we can. Russ, I need your help. Come with me. He grabbed my hand, and we're walking through the school hand in hand. That's a Ugandan thing, two men holding hands. We're walking through the school. Now, Moses is like four foot two, got a great face for radio. He's got one bung eye looking left like that. Um, and we're walking through the school, me and a four foot two guy. And the school's got 1,700 students, and it's a boarding facility because the area is extremely rural. There's hardly any schools in that area. So the demand for, for an opportunity for education is super high. Then for education, education is an opportunity to step out of poverty, to provide for your family, to do something different, to break that cycle. So even for any child that has the opportunity to be in school, it's so different to what it's like here in Australia. And so this boarding facility, 1,700 kids. And then if you're a female, times that need by 10, 100. For a young lady to be in school, it's a safe place. You're not going to get married off early. You're not going to find yourself you know, sold as a, a, 
um, as a housemaid or find yourself in vulnerable or dangerous situations. And so a boarding facility for a teenage girl is extremely important. And we're walking up, and Moses says, Russ, my problem is our girls' dormitory block. We've got one completed block, but it's extremely overcrowded. We should only have 50 girls in each room. It's a two-room block. One room at the front, one room at the back, and then a, the, the matron's room's in the middle for the house mums. But Russ, we should only have 50 girls in each room. At the moment, we've got 100 girls in this room and 98 in the other room. We walked in there, and they're like single-bed bunks, one bunk, like one on the bottom, one on top. There should only be one girl on the bottom, one girl on top. There's two girls on the bottom, two girls on top. They're sharing a single-bed mattress. A hundred girls in a room that should have 50. <clears throat> Moses shows me the room next door. It's an uncompleted dormitory block, just bricks and a bit of a mud floor. He said, Russ, we need, it would have been the equivalent of $45,000 Australian. We need $45,000 Australian, Russ, to finish this dormitory block. Can you help me? This is what I said to Moses. I said, Moses, mate, I'll be praying for you. Praying God comes through for you. Good luck. See you later. I walked out. And I think to myself, man, I've got needs myself. I've got to raise 30 grand every month. I've got to you know, provide school fees for all these kids. We've got to make sure we're, we're doing what God's put on our hearts. I walked out. God bless you, Moses. Good luck. I sat down at the front of a classroom block. There was a bunch of kids doing their end-of-term examinations. And I said to God, it's a tough situation for Moses. And I felt God give me that gentle tap on the back of my head. He said, Russ, don't you preach some of these verses? James 2, verse 14. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing or a dormitory block that he's building, and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing or help them build the dormitory block. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It's dead and useless. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds, but I say, how can you show me you, your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. 1 John 3, 16 to 18. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need of a dormitory block, but shows no compassion. How can God's love be in that person? Compassion, that's a powerful word. Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other, but let us show it by our truth and our actions. And so I'm getting these verses going through my spirit as I'm sitting outside this dormitory block with a legitimate excuse because I've got to raise funds for a legitimate reason. But then Moses needs some help. He's sitting on the side of the road like the Good Samaritan. I love that story. Luke chapter 10, verse 25, where Jesus tells us the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And he tells us that, we all know that parable. 
And the priest and the Levite are walking along, and the priest, surely the priest, Jason, if Jason's walking past this, this Jewish man that's been beat up on the side of the road, surely Jason would stop. But no, Jason, no, this isn't you at all, Jason. But a priest, and perhaps he had to get somewhere. Perhaps he had pressing needs. Perhaps he had a, a service he had to attend. Perhaps he had a legitimate reason, but he'd but he seen the need, and he's, he looked at the beat-up man on the side of the road, and he said, no, I'm going to keep on moving. Then the Levite, worship leader. Your worship leaders this morning were fantastic. And they wouldn't do this, but they're walking past and they see the beat up Jewish man on the side of the road. They see the need, but yet, no, no, I've, 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 got, a, I've got my own agenda. I've got important things I've got to take care of. And that was me. And then we've got this good Samaritan. And the Samaritan had every excuse under the sun. Not because the Jewish and the Samaritans, it was like they were taught at a young age, hey, these guys, are they're, they're, they're below dogs. The Jewish would teach the Samaritans that, would teach their own people that the Samaritans, those people, you don't engage with them. They're lower than a dog. We'll spit on them. And so there was an ingrained hatred between those two races, between those two people groups. And, for this, and so this is how Jesus is painting how we should respond to our neighbor, is that it's not a race thing. It's not a, it's not a demographic thing. It's not a, a poor versus rich. It's a, it's a people thing. And this good Samaritan, he sees the need. And I'm sure he had places to go, things to do, bills to pay. And this good Samaritan, he gets off of his donkey and he crosses the road. You know, there's another word for donkey. And I think we all have to get off of that donkey when we see a need and cross the road and do something about it. You know, our Christianity isn't supposed to be all sitting on our armchair, on our boat, like Peter could have done sitting out there and thought, I'm quite comfortable on this boat. I'm accustomed with my boat. I'm used to fishing on a boat, not walking on water. But I think God wants to stir us up a little bit. He wants to turn us up a little bit. You know, I think God wants a little bit of, yes. Yes, I'll chase after the kingdom. You know, there is no greater cause on the planet. You know, at the moment, we're privileged to be back in Australia. As I mentioned, we're going to see our sun. We just come down from the Sunshine Coast. And the Sunshine Coast is like, when I come back from Uganda, and I go to the Sunshine Coast, it's like paradise. I was like, why God couldn't I have called it Operation Sunshine Coast? <laughs> but we were there literally yesterday. Not yesterday, on Friday. We're looking out across the ocean. There would have been three dolphins bumping up and down through the water. Absolutely gorgeous. But Jesus didn't come back to save the dolphins, as beautiful as they are. He came back for people, to seek and to save the lost, so the people could be in right relationship with him. And today, if you're not in right relationship with Jesus, I want to give you the opportunity. The musos, you can come and jump back up here as well, thanks. You know, Billy Graham, not Billy Graham, that's our head teacher in a BIM, but there was another great guy called Billy Graham. Billy Graham, an evangelist, said there's a God-shaped hole inside of all of us. 
And only a relationship with Jesus Christ can fill that void, can fix that hole, can fill that. And if you're not a Christian, if you're not someone that has a right relationship with Jesus Christ today, I want to give you an opportunity here. Right now, before I go on, why don't you close your eyes, bow your head. If that's you that says today, hey, I know my life isn't right with Christ. I know I've got stuff that's in the road and that stuff's called sin. That's what separates. And we've all got that. We've all had that. And the only way that we can come into right relationship is to acknowledge that, hey, God, I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I've made mistakes. But I acknowledge you, Jesus, as to be the King of kings, the Son of God. And I want to invite you to come into my life. Now, I'm not going to ask you to come up the front. I'm simply going to ask you to slip your hand up in a minute. And one of the team members here at church is going to see you. And they're going to come and have a chat to you after the service. But if you're saying, hey, Russ, I need to get my life right with God. I want you to slip your hand up real fast. I'll see it and say, hey, slip it back down again. You need to say today, perhaps you've been away from God and you said, God, I need to come back to you. I want you to slip your hand up real fast. Say, yep, that's me, Russ. And then slip it back down again. Fantastic. For the rest of us today, I want you to stand with me. And today, if you're saying, and I hope you are, Russ, I want to get off my donkey. You know, I mean, as I was sitting there at the front of this classroom block, I thought, I'm getting off this donkey. I'm going to do something about this need. I don't have $45,000 in my back pocket, but I don't need to have all the I's dotted and the T's crossed. I'm just going to take one step. I said to Jake, who was the Australian guy that was doing some filming, he said, Jake, Let's stop what we're doing. Let's just go do some stuff on my iPhone, film a couple of things we can chuck out on social media. Let's show the need in front of us. Let's not be the priest and the Levite that sees it and turns and walks away and says, it's too hard, it's too big. They're all legitimate things. And I know every day we see needs. There's opportunities where we could respond. I said to Jake, let's, let's stop and let's see if we can fix this need. 45 grand's a lot when you don't have it in your back pocket, isn't it? And I thought, if I start something, hopefully I can finish it. Jesus is just saying, hey, take a step. Trust me, that's called faith. You don't need to have all the outcomes all ordered. That was in the middle of May that I'm sitting out the front of this classroom block. So it's fresh. Only a a few weeks ago. We filmed it, chucked it on social media, Ten days later, I had to tell people, stop, stop giving. We've got more than enough. We've got more than enough to start today. Give God a hand. Today, we've got our guys building this classroom block. As I'm standing there saying to the girls, the 100 girls in one room, the 96 in the other, there should only be 50 and 50. I'm saying, girls, I can't promise you anything, but I want you to be praying praying that God would stir the hearts of people as they see this, that they would help to respond, that they would say yes to the need in front of them. And today, if that's you, you just want to say, God, fill my heart with compassion. I want you to lift your hands in the air. I want you to say, God, let me be the person that would stop 
and see the need. Hop off of my donkey, cross the road and respond to people that are hurting in my community, in the communities that are in Australia and Lord, and to the nations. Father, today I pray for a fresh stirring in our hearts as a church, that you would give us, Lord, a stirring of compassion. Lord, that we would be compelled. Lord, you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, Lord, for the hurting, for the vulnerable, for the needy. Lord, and today I pray for a fresh stirring of compassion in the hearts of Encompass Church today. Lord, that you would be, Lord, you would motivate us to be a church that is reaching here in our community and the communities and the nations of the world. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. God bless you, church. Come and see us in the foyer. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Encompass Church. If today's message has impacted you and you want to give your life to Jesus, if you need prayer or if you want to get connected to the church, please contact us at office at encompass.org.au. Never miss a moment by following us online. Search for Encompass Church on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.